Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. We're um, preaching in this uh, Advent through um, Isaiah. Advent, the first coming of Christ. Uh, looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Um, and so stand if you're able and willing. And uh, we'll tackle the 61st chapter of uh, this uh, momentous uh, book of Isaiah. So hear the word of God, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This then is the reading of the very word of God. Father, what a gift. What a gift that we're your children and you speak to us through the prophets of old, through your word of God. We don't have to just gather in a circle and try to figure out who you are. You tell us who you are. You tell us what you're going to do. You tell us what you've done. There is no father like you. Lord, we're not good learners. Our our attention spans are really short. And we we resist... um, your Holy Spirit. Father, it will take um, your mercy and grace 
to cause us to hear you, encounter you, and experience the joy that you created us to know. Would you be so kind? We need you. We ask you to come in this room. Eternity lies in the balance in these next minutes. Be at work here, Jesus. We need you. Your people cry for you to come. And we pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Joy, we're talking about joy. I want to know, do you have joy? Are you a person of joy? It's fascinating. As a pastor, I've, I've had people say, I, I think one of my attributes is joy, and I think I've never seen that person smile once. You know, if they have joy, they need to send a memo to their face, right? Um, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are the fruits of the Spirit. It's the very second one mentioned right after love is that we would have joy. Joy is the aroma of the church. That's what it's to be. Uh, and yet we all know that we've walked into certain assemblies of God's people and the word joy didn't exactly leap to mind, right? We thought about what we experienced um, there. Joy is to be the aroma of, uh, of, our, how, of our homes, right? That, uh, that our children would grow up and go away and say, I grew up in a house of joy. That our um, grandchildren, when they come to our homes, they would say, you know, um, Grammy and Pop's house is, is a house of joy. We experience joy there. It should be the aroma of the children of God. It's certainly the, the scent. It's, it's the flavor of Christmas, isn't it? An angel announces, fear not. For I bring you glad tidings of what? Great joy, which shall be for all the people, right? I bring you glad tidings of great joy. We sing joy to the world, right? The Lord has come. And, and that refrain, repeat the sounding joy, right? Repeat the sounding joy over and over and over. This cascade of joy. Um, Christmas, love Christmas. You've got the lights, you've got the trees, you've got the um, decorations, you've got beautiful music and candles lit and, and, and children running through the narthex. It is, um, it's joyous, the whole deal. And we need it because life is hard, isn't it? You know, if you think about it, life is really an unending quest, um, a desperate quest in many respects for joy. It's to have something on the inside that, that, uh, that, that sustains us, that that fills us, that makes us feel whole, right? Joy. And so we, we run hard after it. We run hard after it in athletics and in, in academics and in career and trying to build up our bank account and trying to make the big sale and be a success out there. And we run hard after it in, in marriage and sex and family and, and, uh, and in retirement. We run hard after joy. And sometimes we get to the end of the ride and we say, I don't know that I have ever had it. I think of how many people depend on alcohol. They can never go to a party. They can never be at any festive event without alcohol. Am I saying it's wrong to drink alcohol? Of course not. Uh, only in excess, but, but yet it's just interesting. They can't be without it because it's like a prop for joy, for absent 
joy. People say, well, I just can't kind of relax and let go. I don't have any social ability without, uh, without having to uh, have a drink in my hand. And I think some people just finally give up on joy and they just bury their face in social media um, for the lack of joy. You know, you can tell yourself, don't worry, be happy. That doesn't really work. You know, just commanding yourself um, to have joy doesn't seem to actually produce any, does it? Um, So what is joy? What is it? It is an inner delight that is impervious to external circumstances. So that means you can have terminal cancer and have joy. That means you can stand by the graveside of your child and have joy. See, that's why it's not just happiness. Happiness is sort of hap, hap, happy, happy, slappy, you know what I mean? Um, giddiness. If you're, at the si- if you're at the graveside of your child, you're not happy. You're sobbing. You're broken. You're crushed. And yet internally, you can have joy. It's what Christians would often call being that, that it is well with your what? It's well with your soul. Though everything outside, it's what, it's what um, Elie Wiesel witnessed when he saw the Christians at Auschwitz be marched to the gas chamber and they were singing on their way to be executed. Joy. Joy, it couldn't be quenched by, uh, by, the, by the trauma externally they were experiencing, right? Some of you have seen this young girl, Nightbird, who came on the scene just this last year. She has terminal cancer. Every picture you see of her in social media, she's less and less and less. She's just barely a wisp. You wonder how she's still alive. <laughs> Every time you see her, there's a radiant joy. She's dying. She's soon to slip the surly bonds of earth, right? And yet, there's unquenchable joy. One of our little kids, one of our little girls, when she was little, 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 I don't know if she was prompted. I don't know if somebody asked why she was always smiling or whether she just said it herself, but she said, she said, you know, because there was an ebullient joy inside of her, she said, Mom, I just feel like there's a feather inside of me and it's tickling me all the time. What is that feather? Where do you get it? Ready? Sermon outline, here we go. Joy. What's the ground for joy? Here's the ground for joy. Is is the restorer has come. There's been an intervention. We couldn't pull ourselves out of the mess we made in this world, right? God himself has come, and uh, here we have this declaration. This is Jesus' arguably favorite passage in the Bible. Now you could say, well, why wouldn't Jesus like the the New Testament? He didn't have the New Testament, right? He only had the Old Testament. The New Testament is after um, he ascends to heaven. But in his first sermon, he, he, he goes to Nazareth, his birth, his hometown, where he grew up, and he goes to the synagogue, and he stands up to read the scrolls, and he requests the scrolls from Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah chapter um, 61, and he reads this very passage. And then this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus closes the book and he says, this day, this very scripture is fulfilled in your midst, right? There's things we could read in the Old Testament. We could say, this sounds like it's about Jesus. I bet this is a prophecy about Jesus and the scholars might argue about whether it is. But on this, we have no doubt, right? Because Jesus himself came and said, this is what? This is about me. This is a description of what I've come to do. That's why Jesus loved it. That's why it was his first sermon because it so powerfully conveyed his mission. I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he said. The year of jubilee. Now what's that? Jubilee, I love that word. Sounds like joy, doesn't it? Jubilee, right? If you're at a jubilee, it's gotta be something really good. There's gotta be dancing and joy. The year of the Lord's jubilee, what was that? Well, in the Jewish um, law, in Leviticus chapter 25, we're told that the Sabbath was established, right? You might know what that is. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That means one day in every seven is to be a day of joy. It is to be a day of joyful rest. It is to be uh, to get a taste of what we're going to experience in eternity. One day out of every week, it's the Sabbath day. It's the day of rest. It's a day in which you cease from your um, labors, right? And this is a gift of God to his people. One day of every seven, but also one year of every seven was a Sabbath year. And you know what happened in the Sabbath year? You didn't plant. So you had to, you had to be wise in the preceding years to save up enough um, grain and enough food because you didn't plant and obviously you didn't harvest for an entire year. The ground got to rest. The earth got to rest. The earth got to lay fallow, right? Uh, for a whole year. Not only that, you had to forgive all uh, uh, the debts that others owed to you, and you had to seek um, reconciliation with anyone you were um, alienated uh, from, and, um, and you had to set all your servants free. So what they had then was indentured servitude, right? If you owed somebody a debt, you couldn't pay the debt, then you became their servant. You had to work off the debt, but suppose you hadn't worked it off, and seven years came, you're set free. That's it. Awesome, right? Every seven years. It's awesome, at least if you owe the debt, right? Uh, but not only that, every seven years, time seven years, was the year of Jubilee. The 50th year was the year of Jubilee. It's right there in the Old Testament. Read it. Leviticus chapter 25, the year of Jubilee. And all those same things happen. All the debts are forgiven. Uh, all, uh, all wrong is, uh, is righted between people. Reconciliation is thought. Nobody works for the entire year. And not only that, um, all property was to go back to its original owner. Isn't that wild? This is the law of God. It's the year of Jubilee. I read a scholar this week who says, they're not sure that Israel ever practiced the year of Jubilee which makes it even more powerful that Jesus declares, I have come to inaugurate it. Because the year of Jubilee is a picture of what I'm bringing into the world. That there's a day coming where that there will be complete social, spiritual, economic, and psychological wholeness. It will all be restored, the shalom. And just picture 
What does Jesus do when he comes to the earth? He walks into the wreckage of this world and wherever he goes, he brings joy, healing, hope, light. Just like it says here, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, those who are in prison. Think about what Jesus does, right? So uh, he touches the leper. Nobody touches a leper. Lepers are unclean. And yet the leper is made well. Think of the woman who's bleeding. Um, she's been bleeding for 10 years. That means she's ceremonially unclean. She can't go to worship. Um, people can't be around her. People can't touch her. Or they'll become unclean. She's ostracized. And yet she reaches the hem of Jesus' garment and she's made well everywhere he goes. He sees a man in misery, the Gerizine demoniac. He lives among the tombs. He, um, uh, today we would call him schizophrenic, mentally ill, right? He's demon-possessed. He's, um, he tears his clothes. Very often he runs shrieking naked. He has to be bound um, to try to protect himself and others. And when Jesus encounters the Gerizine demoniac, what happens? After he meets Jesus, they see him sane and clothed and in his right mind. Everywhere Jesus goes, right? They lower a crippled man at his feet and the crippled man picks up his pallet and gets up and walks. The sexually bound, he meets a woman at a well in Samaria and, um, and, he, and he tells her everything she ever did in her life. Can you imagine the nightmare of that? Jesus rehearsing everything you've ever done in your life. And, uh, and he tells her, the man you're with, I know, is not your husband. You've had five husbands before him. Before the day is over, she is rescued. She is restored. She belongs to him. She becomes a herald of this joy in her own community. Do you see it everywhere he goes, right? He walks through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem to die, and he calls a little tax collector out of a tree, right? Says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house, uh, and I'm going to have lunch with you, the most hated man in the community, before the day's over, Zacchaeus is giving his money away, the money that he stole three and four times what he stole from anyone else. It's this beauty. He walks into the world to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. You got it? This is the mission. The restorer has come. Look at what it says in verse three that we read of, of 61. He comes to give them a beautiful headdress, to grant to those who mourn a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You see, in the ancient world, when they wanted to express their grief and their sorrow, they would put ashes on their head. Now, we put ashes on your head in this church on Ash Wednesday, right? Put a little dab of, of uh, ash. That's not what they did. They took the ashes. Think of what ashes are. There's something that was once alive and beautiful, like a, like a tree, and uh, now it's been burned and destroyed and reduced to nothing but ashes. They would take the whole bucket of ashes and dump it on their head, and they would walk around like that. And what were they announcing? They're announcing to everybody, my life's gone to complete hell. I am the, I am the sorrower of sorrowers. And what does Jesus say? I've come into the world to what? Instead of to give them ashes, instead of their mourning, is to give them this beautiful garland, this beautiful headdress. Um, beautiful. Um, restoration. So Diane and I, um, yeah, actually Adam and Terry Hill put us onto this show called The Lost Kitchen. How many of you watch the program The Lost Kitchen? Right? 
How many of you hate the song, Mary, Did You Know? That's just, that's a whole, actually a whole different subject. Um, the, the, the Lost Kitchen um, is, is, a, is a beautiful story. It's a story of, uh, 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 of a woman who has a restaurant in Maine. But to know the story, you have to know that um, she grows up in a little town called Freedom, Maine. Hardly anybody lives there. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and so she wants to get out of there growing up. She goes off to college. She escaped, you know, this little deadbeat town. And um, don't you love it when we live in Little Citrus County and we call everywhere else deadbeat, little, small. Um, she, she escapes from there and, um, uh, and yet she goes to college and she ends up pregnant and she has to go home, you know, uh, like the prodigal is a failure and live with her parents again, right back in the little town there. And then she, um, uh, eventually she begins to, um, um, she gets married, she begins to um, cook, she opens a restaurant with her husband, uh, but that collapses too. Um, she struggles with anxiety and depression, she gets addicted to the medication she's taking for that, her husband divorces her and she loses the restaurant, All and guess what, guess where she has to go to live again? She's 29 years old, she's gotta slink back home again to live with her parents uh, because she's a failure in life. She can't make anything work. She's at the bottom. And um, then she starts to cook again and eventually she, um, she opens this little restaurant. She gathers uh, all women that work there. It's only women that work there. They only uh, feed 50 people a night. Um, you don't get any choice in the menu. Um, you get whatever she cooks. And, um, and uh, it, 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 it this restaurant, The Lost Kitchen, has saved her life. It saved um, her whole staff. Most of them are single moms, desperately struggling. Um, they, the, the restaurant's in an old abandoned mill, um, uh, a beautiful building that was just rotting away. Um, it saved the town. Do you know it's the hardest reservation to get in the whole world? On April 1st, they open reservations by the end of the day. Every um, slot for their entire year is filled. Don't you love a story of restoration? Don't you love it when, when things that were broken come to health and life again? It's beautiful. I just gotta say to you this morning, there's hope in your grief, in your depression, in your marriage, in your wayward child, in your cynicism. Jesus sees it. He knows you. He cares. He made you. And he can bring the jubilee. He's the restorer. Have you met him? Have you met the restorer? Oh, you cannot believe the work he does. You know, when I <clears throat> preach in this church, I look out at a man who, who has joy. And I don't really know him, I just know he's delightful to be with. And recently I asked him, tell me your story. And he told me that he was a heroin addict for 30 years. And I thought, how are you alive? How did you survive that? How many times did you go to rehab? How many times did you, I mean, incredible. And then one day, the restorer moved into his life. 
And he is sane, clothed, and in his right mind, and filled with joy. And every time I see him, I think, there's the feather. If you've met the restorer, you feel the feather inside, tickling you all the time. Have you met him? Second, joy is the work of the restorer. Secondly, I want you to see that joy is the purposeful life, the mission that the restorer grants um, to us. Um, It's beautiful here. We We have a missional purpose, and that is to walk among the ruins of the world as the bringers of joy. Look at what it says right in these two scriptures on the screen. Um, It says in Isaiah, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Those who have been restored, they'll build up the ruins. They'll repair the ruined cities, the devastations of generations. Think about that family, generational despair passed on generation to generation. Not my people who will experience the Jubilee, they will become the repairers. And you should be called the priests of the Lord and they shall speak of you as the ministers of God. Um, We walk among the ruins of this world as the bringers of the joy. What a calling. If you don't know this calling, particularly if you're, you know, if you're retired and you don't know this calling, what the heck are you still around for? I mean, what's the purpose of your life? Just to decay, right? Just to eventually die? I mean, if you're young and you're grinding it out and you're up early morning and you're hustling to work every day all the time, what's the purpose of all that? What's the ultimate end of all that? Where's the joy? Here it is. You're the repairer of the ruins. You walk in the midst of this broken world as the bringers of the joy. Do you know that? Do you know that um, Gallup did a poll during this this COVID um, pandemic there's an obvious decline in mental health in, in virtually every sector of society. And so they wanted to chronicle that. They wanted to actually get some data for that. And so they analyzed and asked virtually every um, uh, uh, specter. So how did men fare during COVID? How did women fare in terms of mental health? How did um, seniors and, and, and how did um, um, people in their 40s and 50s, how did um, high school kids, how did little children, How did kids who were in school or not in school? So they tested like everything, right? To determine the the mental health impacts of COVID and every um, area they defined declined. Some dramatically, except one. The only group that's mental health moved forward, moved higher, moved healthier, moved better were those who went to church during COVID. There we have it. There's the source of joy right there, even in the midst of hardship and difficulty and trial. And do you know how many people who named the name of Jesus Christ wasted the last two years arguing about vaccines and arguing about politics and arguing about race and arguing and being angry and hostile and vile instead of walking among the ruins with joy. This is our opportunity. Instead of sitting around talking about America's going to hell and I wish we had a new president, I wish, knock it off, walk among the ruins 
bring the joy, right? This is our calling, this is our moment. So many people are struggling. Listen, Jesus didn't come into the world just to make your life work and give you a fast pass to heaven, right? Jesus came to give you joy and set you loose to be a repairer of the ruins, to be his priest in the middle of the devastation. You know, he didn't just die to save your soul, he also resurrected from the dead to save our bodies, to save the physical world. He is going to restore all things, new heaven and new earth, and God wants us to be the super spreaders of the Jubilee, right? And Pastor, I, I think where you're going is you're saying, we ought to be ridiculously sacrificial, we ought to be lavishly generous, we ought to actually extend hospitality and poor to the care, uh, uh, hospitality and care to the poor and the broken. I mean, is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, <laughs> you nailed it. That's exactly what it's about. That's what Jesus wants. Repair what's broken. And you know what? I love getting to live in the midst of the community of this believers because you guys, I see you do it all the time. There's a guy in our church who three days a week or so, an old elderly man in his community who wants to go walk nine holes of golf um, and has nobody to do it with. He goes and does it with him. He's in all these other legs, this, this guy in our church. He's, he's a really good golfer. He, he can play with the... But, but he goes and, and walks with this old man, um, really far past his prime. He's a repairer uh, uh, of, the, of what is broken. He's a restorer of the joy. See what I mean? I'm at lunch this week with a guy in our church who worked for the customs, for the U.S. government, for the Treasury Department. He was telling me about a case he was on where they interrupted a shipment of arms to um, uh, Saddam Hussein's government from Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland. Come on, Cleveland. And, um, and, uh, and I looked across him and I said, you are a minister. You're a minister. You're a, you, you, you are in the wilderness bringing joy. Do you understand that's the purpose of our vocations? That's the purpose of what we do every day in our life. We got people who drive, drove to the villages this morning to help the villages church because they believe people in the villages need Jesus, right? It'd be easier for them to drive and just come um, here. We have a, a disaster and community relief um, uh, team. They've been doing this for 20 years um, in our church. They, uh, they very often get calls from the county and the county tells them of some domicile that's uh, uninhabitable and they go to some trailer home and the floor's rotted out and people can't even walk from the kitchen to their bedroom or anything. There's no way to get... In some cases, there are handicapped people there who haven't been out of their uh, home for two or three years because they're wheelchair bound and there's no ramp. And they go and they do this good work all throughout the community. You know, recently, one home they were working on, loving this family, somebody died in that family. And they asked Jack and they asked Mike uh, if they would do the funeral. They're not pastors. You can't butt into our area, right? Funerals is our business, right? Um, but they said, no, we want them to do, uh, because that's exactly what it says in here, doesn't it? That you shall become the priest. You shall be spoken of as the ministers of our God. You guys, because that's what it is. That's the truth. That's the way it works. It's so beautiful to see. We, had, we have elders bring communions to communion, the Lord's Supper to shut-ins. A woman was telling me this week, she said the elder came to her house, brought all of his kids with him. 
uh, her husband has Alzheimer's, they can't get out, they can't come to church. And I uh, said, so you know, all the kids, uh, her husband so enjoyed the kids, they took communion together, they were showing pictures on the phone of, uh, of them fishing, and he so enjoyed those pictures of the fishing that they came back that night and brought fresh fish uh, for them. This work is going on, grandparents are raising um, their kids. Do you see it, do you get it? The bringers of the joy, that's our calling. I can remember when I was in high school and I was on a missions trip. And in the middle of the missions trip, a light went on inside of me. This is what I was created to do. I could, I could say that up to that point, up to about 16 years of age, I had thought about nothing every day but myself. And suddenly a light went on and said, that's never worked. And that doesn't give you life. But what you're doing right now on top of this roof in rural West Virginia, putting a, a tar paper roof on a shack for some old lady. Yeah, I was more alive than I'd ever been. This is life. This is what I was created for. This is our mission to give our lives away for other people. Joy. It was the greatest joy I think I'd known up to that point in my life. I love Priscilla, Priscilla Storm's testimony. She went to Covenant College. Then she um, went to Emory. She got her medical degree. She was a missionary doctor in Bangladesh. Um, she came back to the States. I think she's a, a chief of surgery at Emory. She's a world-renowned breast cancer um, specialist. But on Saturday night, she goes to Grady Hospital in Atlanta, which is the hospital for the indigent poor. Um, there and she says I work in the emergency room and if you're in the emergency room in Grady Hospital in Atlanta on Saturday night you cannot believe what people do to each other what walks through the door is dragged through the door of the emergency room people have just been torn up in the mean streets right and she said the greatest delight of my life is Saturday night in that emergency room I get to put what is broken back together again and you know what, I know it. When she's there, she feels a feather tickling her on the inside. And last of all then, so, so joy is when we meet the restorer and we realize he didn't just come to restore us, he actually came to restore us and then use us as the restorers. So where does this joy ultimately spring from though? Well, it's gratitude, right? It's gratitude, it's, it's, it's realizing that we're the beloved when we don't deserve to be. Um, how does Jesus bring this restoration and healing and joy? He bears our shame, the Bible says. He bears our shame. So, have you ever read the book of Isaiah all the way through? Okay, if you were to raise your hand, I know you lie about other things too. Um, Isaiah's a hard book, I, you know, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, if you decide I'm gonna read the Bible all the way through next year, that's where you die, right? That's where your resolve just uh, bottoms out. Isaiah is a very long book, it's very difficult to get through, it's very difficult to get the storyline of Isaiah. And you know, the, the first half of Isaiah tells us uh, about this coming king, this, this powerful, ruler 
who's going to enter the world and set all things right. And you think of like uh, Isaiah 9. You're familiar with this, right? For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. This is the Christmas stuff we, we read, right? There it is. And, and, and on his throne he will reign, and his government is forever. King of kings and Lord of lords, right? That's the first half of Isaiah. Then you get to around chapter 40 of Isaiah, and it starts talking about this other person that's going to enter into the world. Only he's going to come and be weak. He's going to come and suffer. He's going to come in meekness. He's not attractive that you should um, pay attention to him, um, we read in Isaiah. And, and it's Isaiah 53, um, right? He's despised, he rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's like a lamb before the slaughter. Just kind of weird. They're completely opposites. And it's at this point in the book you realize it's the same person. That mighty king is going to stoop so low that he's going to become the sacrificial um, lamb, right? The great king will suffer and die to save his people. He will take what they deserve. I want you to see something. The key here is um, instead, right? I want you to look at the verse 3 again. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress, instead of ashes. In other words, what do we deserve? We deserve ashes, but we get the headdress. To give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. What do we deserve? Mourning, but we get gladness. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. See it? Instead, instead, instead. A few verses later, what does it say? Instead of your shame, instead of your shame, you'll get a double portion. Instead of dishonor, right? So what do we deserve? We deserve shame and dishonor and mourning and wailing. But, but instead of us receiving it, he receives it. This is what causes, do you understand the Bible? Do you understand this substitution? That what should have gone to us went to Jesus. Instead of mourning, it says we get a headdress uh, that's beautiful. Well, who got, what was Jesus' headdress? A crown of what? Thorns. Um, we get a beautiful wedding garment we're about to read. What was his garment? It was blood caked, right? And then they stripped it off him and the shame of being there naked and exposed and, and, and massacred as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a horrific rebel. That's what we deserve. But he took it instead. Instead, 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 he took our place. He died. He was humiliated. He suffered instead of us. I don't know if you've been to church a long time. You know the shame of it? Those words don't move us anymore. But I was thinking this week. It was a, it was a popular story this week of a, of a young man who, very well known, who was convicted of of sexual abuse of children. And then in the, the social media response, it was like, oh man, when he goes to prison, just think of what he's gonna get there, and he deserves it, and I hope they, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, gosh, I hope Christians aren't saying that. You know what nobody said? Instead of him going to prison, I'll go instead. 
Nobody would ever say that. Nobody would say, if, if, if that molester goes to prison, he's gonna get torn up in there. So I'll go and take that in place of him. Nobody does that. Except Jesus. Jesus, he did it for you. I'll go. Father, I'll go instead. Not only that, so he not only bears our shame instead of us, he also gives us his beauty. He's made ugly, but he gives us his beauty. Look at what verse 10 says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself. You see, we believe in double imputation. You know what that means? Our sins go to Jesus, but that's not the whole story of the gospel. His righteousness comes to us. Our ugliness goes to him, his beauty comes to us. We don't have to pay for our sins, he does. We don't have to produce a righteous life, we can't, he does. So that when God sees us covered with the robe of righteousness, he thinks we're beautiful. That's the gospel. So when you do a funeral, like I did this last Monday for June Shelley, and you're a pastor, you're always looking for the gospel hook in their story. And uh, no, by the way, nobody does it better than Adam Jones finds that gospel hook in their story. Every funeral I go to that Adam does, I'm like, oh, that was better than the last one. So we're in June Shelley's funeral and her son gets up and he's showing pictures of her early life, of her wedding. She died at 94, so these pictures, you know, they're 70 plus years ago. And he shows a picture of her getting married in the, in the church, church basement of a, of a church in Philadelphia. And... Um, and she's, she's not wearing a, a white dress. And, and he says, my mother lamented her whole life that she didn't have a wedding dress. And the pastor, Cortez, sitting on the front row said, yes, there's the gospel hook. Absolutely, Catherine. There's the gospel hook because June Shelley entered glory clothed in the wedding dress given to her by Jesus, right? Um, oh. So, this is where joy comes from. Not from the big sale, not from the new car, not from scoring the winning goal. Certainly not from match.com, right? Um, I gotta tell you something. Um, if you were the bride, in the, in, in the ancient world, the way it went was the, the groom would ask for the girl's hand. If she said yes, he sent her away, right? Um, he said, um, I have to go and prepare a place for us to live, right? I have to go and prepare a place for you. And when it is ready, then I will come and I will receive you for myself. Remember Jesus said that? Uh, he was using wedding language. People understood what he was saying. Um, but that's what the groom would say. You have to go, I have to prepare a place, and when it's time, I'll come and get you. 
And one of the things he had to do was not only prepare a place, but he had to prepare a dress. So the groom prepared the dress for the bride. So when the bride, when the word came that it was time to make her way to the groom's house, she would put on her wedding garment and make her way through the city. And what do you think people whispered when they saw her walk by? What do they say today when they see a bride? Well, they say, she looks so what? She looks so beautiful. But you know what? If the groom gave her an extraordinary dress, they wouldn't just say, she looks beautiful. They would say what? My, how he loves her. Do you know what the feather is? It's that little voice inside of you, prompted by the Holy Spirit that says, my, how he loves you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.